0: they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Babbittville Radio, a place where you'll hear great conversations with the world's best and most inspirational runner, triathletes, and cyclists. Endurance lives here. Now, here's your host, USA Triathlon and Ironman Triathlon Hall of Famer, Bob Babbitt. Welcome to Battleville Radio. My name is Bob Babbitt. We're brought to you by Can Perform, workout, energize as generationUCAM.com By VeloFix.com, the world's coolest mobile bike shop. By Polar, winners are made of blood, sweat, and death. By our Challenged Athletes Foundation, we just sent out 3,260 grants totaling $4.8 million. Keep challenge athletes in the game of life through sport. You can help out at challengeathletes.org. Check out any of our interviews on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Babbitville.com. As always, endurance lives here. Uh, last month, I was doing the Mission Bay Triathlon, and racked next to me. 93 year old Charlie French a long history in our sport not only as an athlete but also as somebody who's come up with probably one of the most important inventions in our sport, the arrow bars. Charlie, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well, thanks.
0: Charlie, it was it was an honor to be able to because I think we've both been in this sport forever and ever and ever and I've never really had a chance to chat with you before, but man, you been how long you' been doing this sport?
1: I'. Uh, well, I'm probably from about 1983
0: or 4, somewhere in there. So, so early on, growing up, you are born in 1926, 90 right. 93 years old, and born in St. Louis, come out to Santa Monica, and went to high school and everything. Were you a surfer and doing all type of uh, ocean sports back then?
1: Yeah, yeah, I used to. Well, when I was going to high school, I would, body surfing, play volleyball on the beach, you know, after school every day and on the weekends. Then eventually I got into surfing and started surfing at Malibu. And uh, and then eventually to uh, San Onofre, where I'd spend every weekend in the, in the summer board uh, I'm, surfing.
0: I'm guessing the boards were pretty big back then.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were uh, 9 and 10 feet and uh, all balsa covered with uh, – fiberglass and uh, and polyester resin and yeah
0: getting those things to the beach was uh was a little bit of a hassle <laughs> 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 were there a lot did you have a bunch of friends who were surfing back then or were you more of a lone yeah. wolf
1: guy i had a, a buddy and uh, and there used to be a, a legend guy named Bob Simmons and he shaped this Buddy of mine boards and we glassed them and we surfed Malibu all the time and then started surfing other places later on. Yeah.
0: So then you you go into the Navy right out of uh, right out of high school.
1: Yeah, I was uh, 17 years old and I I asked my mother if she would sign to let me go in the Navy early and she said, "Where do I sign?" <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh my God! Wait, so if you were 17. So were you part of,
1: uh,
0: let's see, say 36, was this bef- in the middle of World War II? It was
1: in the latter part, you know, it was in uh, in 1944. Yeah. I went went in and boot camp in San Diego and then went to Hawaii and then on to the Philippines and went all through the Philippines and bombarding and retook Corregidor and, once they got into Okinawa and then obviously up into, uh, Japan, I was there during the peace treaty signing. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's pretty amazing. <laughs> so did you saw a lot of combat?
1: Yeah, a fair amount. Yeah. We were in combat the whole time once we got in the Philippines and, uh, until the end of the war.
0: Wow, and people don't realize uh, that that was like you guys were taking land inch by inch. That, that the, the Japanese were not, uh, they were not surrendering.
1: Oh, no. No, this was, I mean, we had kamikaze boats. We had guys, when we were being harbors, that we had to put patrol on the boats all night because the kamikaze swimmers would try and come out. Kamikaze and, uh, swimmers?
0: So, Wait a second. Kamikaze yeah. swimmers?
1: These guys that come out swim from the, beach you know we're in a harbor and uh try and throw uh, explosives up on the main deck wow we had guys on patrol all night uh around the perimeter of the ship looking for these people
0: (laughs) so when you get out when you when the war is over did you go that is that when you decided to go to college and become an aerospace engineer
1: yeah yeah
0: and where'd you go to college
1: First, when I got out of, out of uh, the service, and then I went to an aircraft engine, engine mechanic school and uh, ended up working on a, a, a non-skid airline for a couple of years, repairing airplanes and engines and stuff. And then I decided to go back to college, and then I ended up in Long Beach State. And, um And then I had a small interruption there. I was working at Douglas Aircraft Company and went to England as a field service rep for about four years. And then I came back and finished college.
0: And what brought you to Sun Valley?
1: Well, I was working in Southern California, and every weekend I was gone. I was either surfing or skiing every weekend. And I thought, huh, I think I'm going to move to a ski area. So I looked at Squaw Valley, Mammoth, uh, Vale, Aspen, everywhere in the West, and decided that Sun Valley would be the best place to move. So I got married my second time, and uh, and my wife and I and her two kids moved to Sun Valley. And I had a chance to either be on ski school or ski patrol or work in a ski shop. So I chose the ski shop because that way I could only ski six days a week and. I wouldn't burn out, yeah, you know, so...
0: And when you are skiing That's, back then, we're talking cable bindings and yeah. leather, uh, shear boots. Yeah, what, with, leather yeah. boots were just, uh, still, you know, this was like, you know,
1: 1970. Right. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: And, and <laughs> but you became a really, really good skier. And didn't you do some, like, skiing for, in, in uh, over, overseas in, in Switzerland? Yeah, I
1: I had a, a friend and uh, he was filming me to ski for a Barrymore ski movie. We were in kids fuel, uh, skiing powder. So yeah, when I uh, lived here, I when moved here, I'd ski every day, a hundred, every year, a hundred days a year plus, and, uh, just skied bumps. And, and at the end of the first winter I was here, I ended up going to work for Scott USA and, uh, they hired me to develop a ski boot, so every day we'd go up and ski, come down, and make changes. And this took us two years before we got a boot ready to go to market. What,
0: so. I think I read something where you they had been working on a boot, and there was like a thousand of them, and they were all they didn't work.
1: Yep, yeah. When when Edward Scott, the owner of Scott USA, he yeah. bought the manufacturing rights and the patent rights. For the ski boots, and from a guy in Walnut Creek, California, and part of that buy agreement was a thousand pair of boots. So when I went to work there, I put on a pair of boots and flexed forward, and they broke. Sitting there, <laughs> I just standing. sitting there.
0: Now, were these buckles, or these weren't buckles? Yeah, they were buckles.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, they were all plastic, and and they were a single buckle. And so that's where it started, and then from there we had to do a whole lot of a whole lot of reengineering and change almost everything in the boot. We, we stayed with the concept of the patent, but right. all the materials were totally were different. changed, and so, yeah, yeah.
0: And and you, weren't you also involved with the ski goggle?
1: Yep, and then uh, after we got the ski boot going, then we decided to do a ski goggle, and uh, it turns out that when i was skiing in europe with uh, bob smith the, who is was the inventor of the smith goggle
2: yeah we were skiing
1: skiing powder in kitzbühel and that's when he was filming me and that night he said you know there should be a better way to make a goggle because when you're skiing powder and then the older goggles the snow would come up your thighs and go up through the vent in the bottom of the goggle and fill up your lenses. Right. You have to pull goggles away and let the snow out. So we're sitting there at dinner, and I said, yeah, it's simple. We'll just make a thermal pane lens and then close off all the vents. And so the next day we went to into town, and we bought 20 lenses for a Carrera goggle and some acetone from the drugstore, and then we cut the centers out of 18 lenses. And made a thermal pane window or a thermal pane goggle. We taped up all of it and uh, walking into the barn, they fogged up.
0: <laughs> so you're like, oh, we went through all that effort and it's not working at all. <laughs> so
1: at that time, I was working in Hamburg, Germany, uh, and the company had an environmental test chamber. So each weekend, I'd ski with Bob and then I would go back to Hamburg and work on the goggle at night in the barbell chest chamber. So I did this all winter, and then when it was getting to be spring, Bob said, well, I have to go back to California to take over my dental practice. He was an orthodontist, and he yeah. shared a practice with another dentist. So he had to go back to work. So he said, well, why don't we do the goggle. And I said, you take it. I'll never do anything with it. So, so, I got a free pair of goggles every year
0: wait, wait, so so you you gave him the goggle basically yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah and then he 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 went on to produce it' Cause what he when he first started production he he would go to the dental school and get all the students to build goggles because they're all good with their hands so that was his first workforce where all these dental students his production
0: line he had production line of, of dental students building goggles
2: <laughs> I love that so
1: so eventually he started a production well and so then when I started working for Scott uh, we contacted Smith and said okay we went up filled some goggles with your patent, and so we just paid him a royalty, and started making thermal lens goggles.
0: So basically, and, you uh, you paid him a royalty on something you basically developed.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that
2: is funny. And, yeah,
1: well, he, yeah, <laughs> he he went ahead and got the patents, and uh, and then uh, then we started manufacturing ski goggles and then a couple of years later we developed a motorcycle goggle and you know and then we did a lot of products at scott and um, shock forks for mountain bikes and so we develop all these things and then with with uh, the boone bar i was uh, uh boone lennon and i were coming back from a bicycle race and uh, he said i've got this idea for a a handlebar for a bicycle, yeah. and Boone was was a coach for the U.S. Ski Team, their alpine team, and he'd have the kids in the wind tunnel to get the aero body positioned. Right, and that's where he came up with the idea of getting more aero on a bicycle. So he he made this one prototype out of wood. And it looked almost like a toilet seat. Yeah, and we. He said, Let, let's go try this. We rode about 20 miles down to where there was a long hill, and we both rolled down together, hoods on, hands on the brake hoods, Yep. got to the bottom, we were dead even. So yep. we rode back up, put the bars on his bike with U-bolts, and went down, and he was six bike lengths ahead of me. So we went back up, switched and put him on my bike. I was six bike lengths ahead of him. And that that was our wind. tunnel. I was going to that say that's too.
0: your that's your wind tunnel. <laughs> it obviously and we, worked.
1: We said this works.
0: <laughs> that is so, so funny. Yeah, and, and now at the time, were you the first the first two pair? You used them in Iron Man. Yeah, uh huh. In
1: 1986, in in Iron Man, Hawaii, and, and uh, no none of the, the pros
0: had them at that point. It was no, just no, you.
1: No, just the two of us. You know, and I, I was worried they were going to let me use them or not, you know. Right. Like they kind of looked at them and scratched their head and didn't say anything, you know. So, and I, you know, I'd be riding along in the race and nobody would ever seen them. And I'd be down at my bars and, you know, guys would pass me and go, are you awake?
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I,
0: rem- I remember the first time I saw bars, uh, Richard Brine from Speedplay Pedal had some retractable bars that he put yeah. on uh, Jim Elliott doing Race Across America.
2: Yeah, a- you know,
0: yeah. And you're like, boy, he looks comfortable on those bars. And, yeah. And I remember the first guy I saw him was Brad Kearns out at Desert yeah. Princess Duathlon, and Molina right. and, and Tinley and Mark Allen, were, they're all out there, like, laughing at him, going, what, are you you irrigating something? What, what is that thing yeah. on the front of your bike? And then he killed them, and then yep. a month later, they all had the bars. <laughs>
1: That's right. Every weekend, every Monday after the triathlon, we did calls for more pros. And after Brad used them in that first race, then that Monday, about three guys called said, We want to those, And by the end of the summer, every pro was on the bars and we didn't pay any of them. Right. And yeah. Well, And
0: it's always been fascinating to me because triathletes are always the first adopters, right? Because usually, usually we come into a a triathlon, you're a runner or you're a swimmer and you have to learn the bike. You have to learn at least one sport. So we're pretty open to new technology where the cyclists are not very open. So here's this this proof of concept in 86 and Dave Scott and those guys had him in 87 with Ironman and 88 and then at that point, no cyclists are using these things. How do, Boone? Yeah,
1: Boone tried and tried, and I went to nationals and time trial nationals and set a new course record and yeah. with the bars and uh, and but nobody else would use them. And then you know then uh, Boone went to to Europe with the bars and convinced. Greg
0: to use Lamont that was Lamont that yeah. was 89 when he won by yep. like eight seconds over Lauren Fignon the funny part I remember talking to Bob Roll and Bobke was yeah. saying yeah it's great that you know in that last time trial Greg took what 56 seconds out of Fignon he goes but you got to remember he took a, a minute and a half out of him in the time trial two weeks earlier and they still didn't <laughs> they still wouldn't use the bars uh, the yeah. people were so close-minded on that type of stuff. Um, I'm sort of surprised that that LeMond was open enough to, to use the bars.
1: Exactly, it, it was a surprise, you know, and I was still here, and I, I made the bars that, and sent them to Boone that Greg used. You know, wow. But, uh, and these, you know, they just they were bicycle races. Remember, they wouldn't use uh, when they came out with the disc wheel covers. Yes, and the bike guys wouldn't allow them. You know, and they just. You know they're short, short-sighted. Yes, tradition, and they don't want to try anything new. Especially, of if it, it,
0: especially if it comes from triathlon. <laughs>
1: yeah, and triathlons have no background; they got no history. They'll try anything if they think it'll work or it'll help. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a huge difference.
0: <laughs> now, how has yeah. the technology? Is as, as a guy who's obviously been involved with technology since from the very beginning with cycling and triathlon? How has how, how has it changed in the the last 10 years or so? I see people are riding, especially at the Ironman, where it used to be if you, the top pros rode 420, 425, that was really good. Now every, those guys are riding 410, 4, yeah. you know, 410. What's been the biggest change?
1: It, well, it turns out when you start really looking at it, you know, the aero helmets helped. Uh, the deep dish front wheel helped. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know why you can't use a, a full dish, so you do deep dish. And those things all helped a little bit. But when I won my age group and I had turned 60, mm-hmm. and now that age group is an hour faster than I was. Wow. And and nothing, essentially nothing has changed maybe than the Aero Helmet.
0: Yeah, because in terms of carbon fiber, all that stuff yeah, was there.
1: Yeah. So essentially what's happened is better training methods, Yep. better technique, better food, and, you know, there's just a lot more science in how you train an athlete today than you did 30 years ago. I mean, guys just got good at something, and they just kept doing it till they got better at it. They didn't pump iron, they didn't look at their diet, they you know they didn't do any of these things that all the athletes today do. So a lot of the improvements, well, it's in swimming, it's in everything. Right. These guys just because of technology and how to create a better body and how to be more efficient in a sport, you know, with videos and right. and all this stuff you. Little by little, you can get these little improvements. So,
0: so yeah. you did your first Ironman back in '83 and '86. I'm sorry, '86, and yeah. oh, that's right because your first one was with the bars. Yeah. Oh, wow! Yeah. And when you were passing people, did people say anything to you? Oh
1: yeah, yeah. People, you know, they go, "What is that?" You know, and as they say, they say, "Are you awake?" You know. <laughs>
0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware
2: prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, because on every downhill, I would, you know, I, they were steep enough, I wasn't pedaling, and you'd just roll by people. Right. You know? And then they'll peel you, you, either gut past or you just tell your own based on your ability. <laughs> but downhills, I just, everyone had roll by people. Wow. And what, so, t-
0: with the other thing that has made a big difference, obviously, is, is people can go online and watch what other people do. I think our athletes, back in the day, I don't think people shared what they were doing training-wise with each other. Yeah. Now, people yeah. put up their Strava and they, they have power meters on their bike. How, how much has that made a difference, you think, in, in terms of the improvement we've seen? It,
1: it's had, had a definite effect because when we first started the bars, we used to go to the went to at Texas A&M. Yeah. And we, we went to Le Mans, We went with Armstrong. And before that, all the triathletes would go there because they wanted – it was like the ski racers. They wanted to get the optimal body position. And when Boone and I first went there, we would just practice – moving our elbows in, raising our hands up, knees in, all these things when you're pedaling to see what's the most efficient position. And all the pro triathletes would go to the wind tunnel to get the most arrow.
0: Before the cyclists were doing it.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, The cyclists, uh, you know, they didn't. The first two that I remember were were both Lance and, and Greg came to the wind tunnel and, Cause they realize that, you know, that there was more time to be gained with a better body position. And, and even obviously today, you know, all the guys from all the pro teams got to be in the wind tunnels. So,
0: so in terms of, for someone like yourself who got into this in 86 and you're still racing, um, and racing at a high level at 93 people talk aging and i always tell people i think our sport is the fountain of youth uh, how is the, <laughs> how is the sport of triathlon help to keep you young
1: oh i think it's it's been a tremendous asset because you know i think you and i realize if you have a goal you'll train harder right and if you don't have a race coming up you kind of say, Oh, I'll, I'll train tomorrow or I won't run as far today or, you know, but every time you got a goal out there, you just keep training. You don't want to back off and you're trying to do better. And you know, the season starts and you think, Well, I'm going to do an Ironman or I'm going to do a national or I'm going to do a world. So you just keep working towards that. And every day you want to go out and see if you can't get better. And, you know, now obviously I don't get better, but, uh, and little by little, you know, I've backed off on the, I think the last, uh, half Ironman I did was in La Jolla at the Challenge Athlete thing. Ah, yeah. And you came
0: down to do our Challenge Athlete event.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that was awesome, you know. <laughs> and the basketball guy was there, Bill
0: Walton. You know?
1: Yes, Walton. And I remember passing him on the bike because you know he's sitting there chatting with somebody riding along, and I thought I was a hero because I went by him.
0: you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bill's Bill but, loves his bike, and it's funny because Bill, when you see him walking, it looks painful. When he's on the bike, yeah, he, yeah. you know. It, do you find that, that as you've aged, do you ride more and run less
1: in terms of yep. your training? Yep, yep. I totally. This swimming it backs off a little bit, but yeah. uh, the running is. It,
2: it beats it, you. And up. That's
1: the thing. Is it cut down my my distance of the races is the run
2: exactly. And when
1: I did that half Iron in La Jolla, I mean I was walking and running and running and walking and you know it's the worst of my life i didn't keep running yeah. and uh and then now even when i do like that race in the uh, mission, mission bay yeah. I, I had to walk o- over half of it you know and i no matter what i do how I I try you know i do stair climbers I, yep. I do squats I do everything and i just the body doesn't have the strength anymore you know right. and I. And, uh, you know, and you, like you, you try and figure out how to change your training as you get older. And after reading Friel's book and, uh, and Merkin, they both say, as you get older, do sprints. Yes. Not intervals, but sprints. And with the sprints, you develop strength, and you can go back the next day and train again. Yes, if you do longer events, and you got to take a day off, it's true. And so you you sit there trying to figure out mentally now how can I keep improving or how can I get better? And of course, nothing works. <laughs> I know, but you know what's interesting, and I'm
0: sure you're you're the same. Swimming wise, you don't lose much. Cycling no, wise, you don't lose much. It's all in. Yeah. It's all the run. I mean, to me, I I look at it now, and I do a race, and ten is the new eight. If I can run ten minute miles off the bike, I'm a happy guy. Right. Yeah. Rather than yeah. the old days, yeah. you you felt like, oh, eight minutes, that's nothing wrong yeah. with eight minute miles. But yeah. it's like every, as you age, that seems yep. the running is the part that, that gets tougher.
1: Yep. Yep. It's it's exactly right. And yeah, I would. You know, when I was doing an Olympic distance, I'd lose maybe five minutes a year from one year to the next to the next and swimming stayed the same. I didn't lose any time. Right. And then, but the run, I just was getting eaten alive. You know?
0: I know. Now, have you still yeah. been going to world championships and nationals and things like that?
1: I haven't been for the last few years. I, I think the last one I did was, well, I can't remember, but I've done five worlds and, and won five of them. And, um, I, I can't even remember the last one I did. But, <laughs> That's but it, pretty it was cool. Quite a few, and then I I just saw that the, they're going to qualify in San Diego, and I thought, well, maybe I'll go to the Nationals this year. Yes, just to give me some to get me going, you know. <laughs>
0: exactly, it's going to be back in Milwaukee, which is nice. Yeah, and, and yeah. we've got so many. And now, had you done a lot of races in San Diego before Mission Bay? Uh,
1: I've have done a Mission Bay probably three or four times. Mm. And then, I, mean, I used to do the Bud Light series yep. down there.
0: Oh, yeah. In and Encinitas the, and in Solana Beach. And yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I did all of those. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, in fact, you know, that's when Scott was just, had the bars. And I can remember we would give the last place finisher a, a pair of arrow bars. That's and a that cool was, idea. Yeah. Because, you know, when you give out prizes for... The fastest here and there. These guys all got deals, anyhow. Right. But when you go for the worst guy, you know he's going to appreciate it. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Now, are you still? Do you still
1: ski as well? Yeah, I, I've been going to the world there, and I've won. I think seven world championships or world cup races there. And, and Now, is that, and is that
0: is that a downhill type of stuff?
1: No, it's uh, cross country. Oh, cross country. And okay. Yeah, so, you know, cross-country has both skating and classic, you know, where you just stride in a track. And and I used to do both up until about two years ago, and now the skating is like running. I just get to a hill, and no matter how hard I try, how slow I go, whatever I do, I just run out of gas. It's like going up a hill on a mountain bike with the wrong gear. Right. but classic, you, you can just keep going. So it's form, now, form is
0: so much more important there, right? Yeah,
1: there, there's more, the technique is more subtle, you know, and then you've got the waxing besides. So it's it's a great challenge. And, like, last year I went to Norway and won all three races. Wow. Was in. And uh, a couple of years before, I went to Switzerland to cloisters and won there. And then before that in Asiago and Italy and uh, – and then they had the worlds here in McCall, I don't know, quite yeah. a few years ago. I, so I I I love to do those because you know it gives I'm totally away from running or or biking all winter long because you know we're at six thousand feet and we get right. a lot of snow. So the bikes put away and I don't get on a turbo trainer. I, I'll swim maybe a couple times a month in the winter, but uh, and then in the spring I switch and go all out for
0: for try so so do you try. so you, you're not you you weren't one of those guys who got into the indoor training on the bike no
1: when well, i could remember training for the iron man and and you know it was in october so yeah it, here it was raining at night, and i had to get up at four in the morning and run in the dark because, uh, you know, in those days, you trained all three things in the, the day. Right, right. <laughs> and, and I had to borrow somebody's turbo trainer because the weather was so bad. And I am sitting on that thing in my garage and going, this really
2: sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that is wild. When, when, yeah. you,
0: when you look at the sport from when you first got into it, the sport of triathlon, to where it's at now, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, it's the same thing as I mentioned earlier. I just think that you know the 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 athleticism is, is better, and the and the training is is so much better. I mean, you know, you remember in the 80s with Molina and mm-hmm. Pig and yep. these guys. I mean, they train mega miles, mega mega miles. Yep, and that's what I could when I did the Ironman. I think I rode 350 miles that week. I ran 65 miles, and I don't know how far I swam. And that's what you did. You know, and, and luckily unfortunately, fortunately, people have realized that quality is better than quantity. And, you know, guys are doing more hill repeats and all kinds of stuff to to get stronger and not need those mega miles, you know, so...
0: So when you when you yeah. do your cycling training now, in most of the events you're doing more more sprints than anything else. That's sort of like me. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. I'm a sprint guy. I figure if I can be yeah. in a beer garden by nine in the morning, that's pretty nice.
1: Well, you know, for you and I, it's more fun to race. Than just to see if you can finish.
0: Absolutely. You, yes.
1: You know, you do these longer races, you're not racing. You're just Open. you're going to make it. Yeah. Yeah, you're trying but to make you sure, a sure you got a to. Yeah. Race, you, you can pretend you're racing, you know, so it's, it's more fun. I yeah. couldn't
0: agree with you more. It's funny. I was just thinking about that. When I do these longer races, it's all about, oh my God, I got to carry all these gels with, and I've got to figure out, yeah. you know, I got to have a water bottle, and I got to make sure my belly can handle this stuff. Because I just don't like being out there that long. I'd much rather. No. Uh, if we can do yeah. a race, that takes about an hour, hour 15, yeah. hour and a half. That's, it's funny when you call yeah. those a sprint when it's an yeah. hour and a half and we're out there an hour and a half and it's a sprint. i am like, that seems like a long hour. <laughs> that seems like a long way for something to be called well, a sprint.
1: Well, cross country the same way. And up until like five years ago, the shortest race was a 5K. That's the shortest were, race. Yeah. And then they were. 10, 15, then a lot of 50K races. Like three years ago or four years ago, I did a 42K race in Switzerland. And um, But now, like last year, I did a 25K classic race, and about halfway through, I'm going, oh, man. And it was just, it was survival. It
0: right.
2: You know? Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. are you seeing in cross-country skiing the same thing we see in triathlon that older or we're populating the older age divisions the more and more people are staying in it
1: yeah yeah and in in uh cross-country it's interesting because you go to the world championships and in the young age group 35 up to about 50 there might be only one or two guys in an age group
2: right because
1: young guys are working they're raising a family they're got business to do and then, you know, when they get older and their kids are older, then they figure out they got time to go back and start doing these sports again. And uh, like the biggest age groups are fifty, sixty, you know, yep. sixty five. Just like in triathlon they start... Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's really fun. And so this next yeah. season, you're thinking do you start planning your season uh over the winter? What do you what are you thinking about for trial actually well,
1: yeah, right now I'm I'm uh, climbing a mountain with poles, which is just straight up a really steep ski run, just to try and get some leg strength. And then I roller ski w- w- with these roller skis and yeah. double pole, and I just double pole. I don't I don't skate or anything, I just to get my upper body strength. Wow! Because with cl- classic skiing now. They almost never stride. It's double pole everywhere, everywhere. And in Europe, they've they've been forced to have zones on a race course where they have to stride because these guys have gotten so strong, they can double pole up at anything. And it's way faster than striding. So for me, I you know, I just... Do everything I can to get the double pole strength. You know, so, yeah, I mean, it's a joke compared to young guys, but it still works for me. You know.
0: So when you say double pole, this, so that means you're just doing the both poles at the same time and not
1: striding yeah, with the yeah. skis. Right. Oh, right. interesting. So and, it
0: really is just it, it's a full upper body workout.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you know now, I mean, these cross country guys, they're almost like football players. They're all big, tall
2: broad yes. shoulder
1: upper body strength guys and of course they're also phenomenal like when they come to a hill now where there's a stride zone they literally run and i mean they run at a really high turnover rate with their skis just one going up after the other one and it's you know they still need kick wax and, and so on but it's it's changed a lot from you know in the skating it's pretty much and there. They just, they've changed how they skate, but it's, it's still just pure skating. So, you know, it's like you or I, it's fun to have something, some goal.
2: Absolutely. Know, to
1: change some technique and, you know, it gets a little hard, but when we're running around, you know, like you, I just soon, a lot of times ride by myself.
2: Just Absolutely. Cause you
1: get to think about things and work on pulling through and doing all this stuff, you know, and it, Kind of makes it fun. So,
2: it, it, it
0: you've lived through this whole era in terms of skiing, where you went from you know cable bindings to leather boots to long skis to parabolic skis. Did you have a preference that when 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 you first saw the shorter ski or the wider ski, was your first thought, "Oh my God, what is that"?
2: Yeah, yeah. I,
1: you know, I mean. All of us are a little reluctant to change.
2: Right. And
1: you see these new things coming in, you know, and then, of course, once you try them, you go, wow. Yeah. And now with the the shorter skis and the side cut that they have, you can just lean on your heels and still turn as much as you want, whereas in the old days, your skis would not turn.
2: Right. So you had
1: to be way forward and get the weight, you know, on the tips and all this kind of stuff. And But you don't have to do that anymore. And, you know, now with the wider skis, people can ski powder way more easily than when we first learned to ski powder. So – and – yeah, it's all fun. And oh yeah, I, you know I, I mean I don't, I definitely would not want to go back to the longer skis. Right, I have fun. You know, just even though everybody else can do it, you, you can still tell a good skier from a bad skier. So, uh, so when you were yeah.
0: skiing back in Kitzbühel and they're filming you, people think, and when I say filming, they're thinking, oh, someone's got a GoPro on and they got this little teeny camera. I mean, if somebody's filming you back then. It's it's like a real camera it's big yeah
1: yeah he's got a big camera and you know and then of course they had to be good because it was right. pretty hard to keep everything steady and but you know you, i mean those days that's what there was that's exactly all
0: it was. I love <laughs> yeah,
1: it. yeah there were no gopros
0: <laughs> no there was none of that type of stuff now do you still do you still downhill ski at all or you focus mainly cross country
1: I, I went once last year but and then uh, about two years ago, what would happen is, little by little, I'd do more and more and more cross country, and then the you only know, time I'd go in the mountain was when it snowed. Then it was fresh powder. I'd go up and ski and you know, right. maybe six or eight times a winter, and, and then pretty soon I'm down a couple times a winter. And then for one or two years, I didn't go in the mountain at all. Because and part of it is they keep they get better grooming on the cross country trails, and if it snows a foot, you can't ski on it. But if they come and groom it, then you you go right behind the machine and you got good snow. So
2: with
1: the trails being better after a storm, it makes it easier to not go in the mountain. (laughs)
0: That's so cool. Very cool. Hey, Charlie, thank you so much for taking so much time. It's really really fun to to look at everything you've done. I remember years ago I was interviewing this 100-year-old guy at a master swim meet. I'm like, so what's the key to your success? He's like, well, if you can't beat them, outlive them. I'm like, okay, all right. That became my new model. Uh, model. I'm like, okay, if you can't beat them, I'll live them. And you're, you're,
1: yeah, that's you're, where I am.
0: I love it. Charlie French has been our guest. Charlie, I'll see, hopefully I'll see you at the races this year.
1: Definitely. I would look forward
0: to that. Uh, all right. Charlie French has been our guest again. We're brought to you by You Can Perform, Workout, Energize. That's generationyoucan.com. By VeloFix, the world's coolest mobile bike shops. By Polar, winners are made of blood, sweat, and data. By our Challenge Athletes Foundation, we sent out three thousand two hundred sixty grants totaling $4.8 million. Keep Challenge Athletes in the game alive through sport. And to help out, go to challengeathletes.org. Check out any of our interviews, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Babbittville.com. As always, endurance lives here